Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control your own body and get the health care everyone needs has been stolen. And now politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common sense policies that protect your right to control your own body and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, you can help reclaim your rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. Here's an HIV pill dilemma for you. Picture the scene. There's a rooftop sunset with fairy lights and you're vibing with friends. You remember you've got to take your HIV pill. Important, yes, but the fun moment is gone. Did you know there's a long-acting treatment option available? So catch the sunset and keep the party going. Visit PillFreeHIV.com today to learn more. Brought to you by Vive Healthcare. Hello, ladies. Hey, divas. Hi. I'm Zach Stafford. I'm Saeed Jones. I'm Sam Sanders. And you are listening to Vibe Check. This week, we're going to get into Joe Biden or Dark Brandon, as some call him, some people being Sam Sanders. And he finally <laughs> seems to be catching some wins and getting some shit done. And also, we're going to be talking about Netflix turning 25, HBO going through a lot of drama, which feels on the nose for a drama company, and how the golden age of TV may be over. So we're going to talk about all of this. But first, I want to shout out all of you who sent us fan mail or tweeted us or DM'd us. We appreciate all the feedback. Keep it coming. We love to see it, hear it, read it. We are at vibecheck at stitcher.com. Send us a note. How are we feeling today? How are we feeling, ladies? Speaking of golden age of TV being over, I'm feeling unbothered by things like the VMAs. The VMAs (laughs) happened Sunday night. I saw the commercials for it. I said, should I watch? And then I said, no, I'm not going to watch. And you know what? Not watching was A-OK. I remember the VMAs of my youth, and it feels like they're just a shell of what they used to be now. Mm. And I I don't feel bothered by it. It's like, OK, not for me anymore. I don't even think young people, like, I I think initially I was like, oh, maybe you just like naturally kind of age out of caring about something about the VMAs. But I don't get the sense that young people are like really excited about it either. I don't know. Yeah. And it feels weird because all these celebrities are dressing crazier and crazier and crazier every VMAs red carpet to get more attention. But all they get from me is like a scroll on the feed that I'm like, Mm -hmm. oh, looks cute, looks bad. But did you like (laughs) the Bad Bunny kiss? He kissed one of his male dancers? Yes. Sure. Good for him. I don't know. Like, <laughs> That's I was like, okay, great. Love yeah. that for you. Like, we have talked right. a lot about queer baiting on this show. So I'm kind of like, baby, shit, a good off the pot. Tell me what you really want. <laughs> I mean, sure. Kiss a dancer. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> We're over it. Well, Said, how are you doing today? I'm 
good. I'm feeling cute, very um, autumnal. Um, I'm excited. Wow. <laughs> What's the temperature over there, Saeed? What's the temperature? You know, you're right. It is a spooze. It's 75. It is okay, like crisp, then. Uh-huh. A crisp autumnal 75 degrees. Uh-huh. No, I'm excited because this weekend I'm going tailgating. It's the first OSU game of the year. Oh, my <laughs> so, God. Yeah. Is this yes. your first tailgate since the pandemic? Oh, no. Oh, no. He's in it. No, I, I went last fall. I went last fall. Okay. But it's like the first game of the year. It's OSU versus Notre Dame. Big game. Very excited. It's a night game, which means I don't have to wake up early in the morning to go tailgating. Yeah, I'm excited. So I'm looking forward it. to that. Take pictures. Is the boyfriend coming? I think he might. I think he might do a road trip and swing by for Labor Day weekend. Oh, we cute. love yeah, that. Cute. Love so that. I'm going to take him tailgating for the first time. I'll report back. I'll report yes, back. Yes, yes, yes. Zach, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm in New York City. And I really feel lately, everyone's like, where are you? And I'm like, I don't travel that much. But no, I really do. I'm in New York and Philly this week for some <laughs> I reason. I wish y'all could see the look Sam and I just gave Zach. <laughs> well, listen. What are you talking about? Allegedly, Zach Stafford's apartment is not too far down the road from my place. We both are in LA. I'll hit this man up being like, what you doing this weekend? He's always gone. Baby is always gone. Yeah, I, I'm gone. And my boyfriend definitely gets the apartment to himself all the time. So he's very lucky because I'm never there to bother him. So there we go. I hope your fall has you sitting still a bit more so we can hang yeah, out. Yeah, I hope. I hope. Yes. All right. Shall we kick things off? Shall we jump in? Let's, Let's do it. Do it. We have to talk about Joe Biden. Joe Byron. Dark oh Brandon. <laughs> Cut it with the dark Brandon bullshit. Because Sam We're has been trying it. to make dark Brandon a thing. <laughs> you for weeks. Trying to make it happen. Question. Y'all can have either dark Brandon or Joe Byron. Which one do you want? I like Joe Remember Byron. Joe Byron? If I have Joe Byron choose. was fun. Okay. Joe I'm going to call him fun. Joe Byron for the rest of this segment. <laughs> uh, Joe Byron has been on a run lately. Here are a few of his most recent achievements. One, student loan debt relief. We've all heard about this by now. Pell Grant recipients will get up to $20,000 in debt canceled. Other borrowers get up to 10K forgiven if their income is less than 125K. By some estimates, with this new Biden debt forgiveness program, some 20 million people will see their student loan debt totally wiped out. Just a few days after that announcement, Joe Biden and his White House said that they would formally codify DACA as a federal regulation. DACA, of course, stands for Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals. This is a program that lets streamers stay and become citizens. All of this comes after Joe Biden finally got the Inflation Reduction Act through Congress, which is the biggest American investment in fighting climate change ever. This bill also raises corporate taxes and expands health care coverage. And we can't give Joe Byron all the credit for this, but inflation is down and gas prices are down, which leads to my big question for this segment. Can we say, at this point at least, that Joe Biden, perhaps the least energetic president in recent history, <laughs> is he on a roll? Yes, I will say yes, he <laughs> okay, is I'm on a roll. I'm going to give it a sure <laughs> I'm with a question yes, mark at the end. But I don't think it was planned. I think somehow like That's the, my the planets aligned, like karma finally came back. Donald Trump is you know dealing with his stuff. It just, there's, he did not plan this. This is just like a lot of luck hitting back to back in my mind. That's what I was wondering, because a lot of these Democrats cannot pass a law because of Simonana, Simonana, and Joe Manchin. Um, so a lot of this is, you know, it's a lot of like executive power being exercised, which is to say, 
this could have happened at any point since Joe Biden became president. So I've been a little curious as to like why now, if as Zach is saying, if it's just a coincidence, you know, the political stars just aligned, or is this like the Biden administration being like, okay, let's go into November, the midterm elections with, you know, making a clear case. I think a lot of it was just him doing what he does best, which is palling around with senators long enough to get them to yes. Before he was in the White House, he was in the Senate for decades, and Mm -hmm. he prides himself on being someone who can negotiate. And he got so much flack for months from the left for taking his time with cinema, taking his time with mansion, but the long game paid off, and it happened to pay off just a few months before the midterms. You know, so whether or not he planned this or not, I do think we're entering this season where Democrats and Joe Biden are poised to do pretty well in November, Mm -hmm. should things hold, especially given the fallout from Roe being overturned. And I'm just baffled by this strange success for Joe Biden, because in many ways, he is the left's worst nightmare. He preaches compromise at a time when no one seems to want it. He is extremely unexciting. He does not project any of the symbolism that Democrats want in a president that Barack Obama provided. Or that arguably Trump provided for Republicans. Exactly. And yet he has a pretty strong list of accomplishments. I guess I'm grappling with him and what he's doing. And it's almost a Forrest Gump situation, like he just showed up at the right place in the right time. I don't Mm -hmm. know, but... He's doing something. I, I, I'm realizing I don't really know how to respond to good news anymore when it comes to kind of national politics. Like, I'm so used to, if not absolute chaos, then kind of Lucy snatching the football, you know? And it's hard to receive and kind of metabolize good news because I've I've gotten so used to being like, oh, get ready. Here's the next, you know, bit of chaos that we're ready to deal with. So, I mean, this is wonderful. I mean, yeah. pick any one of these issues, climate change, DACA, which is just so important, student debt relief, the way it's going to impact people's material realities. This, this is huge. Yeah. Even drug pricing. Like, yeah. he is going to allow That's a good point. the government to set drug prices, which most of the rest of the developed world does already. But this is a big deal. Yeah. I wonder, you know, to hear you, Saeed, say that you don't know how to accept a win, given so many years of horrible politics. It seems as if, in many ways, the folks that should be the most excited about Joe Biden getting some stuff right these last few weeks. They don't know how to accept the win either. You know, Twitter is not the real world, but we saw, we all saw after the student loan news, a lot of folks on the left said, this is horrible, this is wrong, this is evil because it didn't do enough. I found that surprising, yeah. Zach. I mean, I think it's surprising and it's also revealing of something I struggle with when we have conversations about Twitter. And when we say Twitter's not the whole world, you know, we're talking both about I think it's like five to 10% of Twitter users create 90% of the content. Like there's a vast difference between being on Twitter and then who's actually creating the conversations on Twitter. Meaning conversations on Twitter aren't representative of everyone. But like, I sometimes get frustrated with the left by not understanding how large a moment can be and being able to celebrate it. And also misunderstanding who is actually impacting. So like some quick numbers for people, 43 million Americans are going to be eligible for $10,000 of debt loan forgiveness. That is amazing. Just that, that is, incredible. is that amazing. Is That's amazing. And then when you look at some other numbers, and all these numbers are coming from this organization called Rise, is a student-led nonprofit. A friend of some of ours created it named Max Lubin, who used to work in D.C. for Obama. And I got him to send me over a bunch of numbers. And I was really shocked because I didn't understand that 92% of the state of California, of people who are borrowers, 
will be eligible for this. That's a lot wow. of people. That's something that we should be really, really excited wow. about. And it also just shows you that while we look at TikTok and we look at Instagram and see people going to Mykonos, going to New York City constantly, I know I'm part of that problem. It's for work, I swear. But we see people living these huge lives. We have an overinflated idea that people are really wealthy in this country and they're not. Most people mm-hmm. do fall well below $125,000 a year. So this is going to hit a lot of people very quickly. And we do have those numbers. We know 8 million people by October will have it cleared immediately. And then 35 million more people will have to go through an application process before the end of the year. And that's 44 million people. That's a lot of people. And according to some White House estimates, the average Black borrower will see their balance cut nearly in half, and more than one in four will have their balance forgiven altogether. This is before you include the 10,000 more of debt forgiveness for Pell Grant recipients. This is good for Black people. It's good for lower-income people, for middle-income people. And I don't know. It just feels like if any other president had done this, there'd be dancing in the streets. But something about Joe Biden, you're just like, "Mm, I don't know. I mean, it's not just like any other president. It's it's where we are now. We're in this moment. I mean, Black folks in Jackson, Mississippi, an 80% Black city, the capital of Mississippi, woke up this morning to find out indefinitely they aren't going to have safe water to drink. So I just think we're in a moment where so much is going on. No matter who was announcing the good news, I don't think we'd exactly see people dancing in the streets. And I've got to say, I'm ambivalent about the idea of being nice to politicians, actually. No, yeah, we don't owe them anything. (laughs) They owe us. To me, I'm kind of like bully politicians to always push them forward. So I think, you know, maybe that complicates the messaging because I would like to see student loan debt 100% um, canceled. And the same with medical debt, you know? And so, I don't know. But I would like to think there's a way to say, good start, not enough, we need more, as opposed to totally, you know, dispelling the impact of this. Well, that nuance doesn't exist in spaces no. like Twitter. It it's, just yes, doesn't yes, exist that's there. That's true. Now, and I think people have really stopped realizing that you know progress is a step-by-step process. History happens in small moments and many moments, back to back to back, and it may take a while. And I think people, due to maybe TikTok or due to social media, have this really like, they need it in the, the immediate future, and that's when it really matters, or they need it to be this really big march to really matter. But sometimes structural change happens without you really seeing it tomorrow materially, and it starts to trickle in. And also, to the credit of activists, you know, the reason why we got here is because young people showed up and voted in 2020. It's because Betsy DeVos is not in the Department of Education anymore. There's been real pressure on this administration and the administrations before that have led to this moment. So I think people, not that I want to give the Biden administration one more vote on the just go vote, because I think that's like really patronizing at times. I do think people should celebrate that they are the reason why this happened. This is a long path out of Trump that you did, not Biden, that allowed him to do this executive order. And it's a good moment to understand what the relationship between activists and politicians should be and could Mm -hmm. be, it's a constant song and dance. Your work is not done. The work of activists is to yell, 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 shout, 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 organize, 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 get some, take a day, and then keep going. I think a lot of people want this student loan debt conversation to be over in one fell swoop. It's going to be a process that requires 
more activism. And that's what I'm almost waiting to see more than like the midterm turnout results. I think it's safe to kind of predict where things might head given Roe. What I'm anxious to see is what the relationship between activists on the left and the Biden White House continues to be. And I hope it remains antagonistic because pushing that White House is the only way to see real change happen. And that's, I guess, what I'm going for. It's like productive antagonism. Because to your point, Zach, I, I understand that substantive progress requires a step-by-step, but we're facing such systemic collapse because Mm -hmm. of really the last decade, not just the last few years, that I do think a lot of the, um, yes, it's like Twitter and, and, you know, these platforms are not making space for nuance, but also I just think people are kind of like under duress. And when you're in that situation, nuance are kind of being like step-by-step, you know, you kind of don't want to hear that. It's almost like you can't afford that Mm -hmm. kind of pacing. So I'm really happy about the public policy that's taking place over the last month from this administration. We'll see. Yeah, we'll We'll see. see. And to your point, you know, if people aren't jumping for joy, I'm going to have a very harm reductive response to this and be like, we need a lot more structural change. And the Biden administration should be able to hold both of those truths, the excitement that $10,000 is gone and the reality that people need it all gone. We need more. And we'll figure out the middle. I want to end this segment by not giving any flowers to Joe Biden, but just saying, huh, he's surprised me. You did the right thing, Joe. You did the right thing. (laughs) (laughs) Dare I say we did it, Joe? He did it, Joe? They did it, Joe? Something. (laughs) All right, time for us to take a quick break. But stay tuned. We'll be right back with no more Joe Byron, but a lot of Netflix and such. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. All right, hello, my dears. We're back. And let's jump into our next topic, the downfall of the streaming era, a.k.a. Happy 25th anniversary, Netflix. (laughs) Happy birthday, girl. That's right. And and this is a huge part of what's going on. Netflix, which was initially the only streaming platform, is celebrating its 25th year, but so much has changed. Now it has competitors left, right, up, down, the middle. I mean, everyone's in it. And I think it's fair to say everything has changed. And as we were kind of talking about it in the group text this week, it feels like there was a moment where we were really in not just the golden age. Remember, people would be like the golden age of prestige TV, Mm -hmm. which was really, I think, heralded by HBO shows. And we're going to talk about HBO. HBO shows like The Sopranos, AMC's Mad Men. Breaking Bad also. Breaking yeah. Bad, all of all of those unhappy, dangerous white men, all of those. <laughs> and and then we entered the golden age of streaming, which was like, you know, particularly as as a writer, as an artist, really Orange exciting. is the New Black Orange was is the so new black. exciting. Yeah, and so all of these opportunities for storytelling and, and more diversity, representation opportunities. And now... You know what it is hmm. now, Saeed? I feel so overwhelmed. When you look at all the streamers, all the platforms, and all the content, it's too much to keep up with, and no one is in charge. In 2021, last year, the official count 
was that there were 559 scripted series on streaming networks or broadcasts. And that's incredible. That's just too just much. Script, that's that's too just much. scripted shows. Not that's even counting unscripted. selling the OC and selling the wow. this and selling the that. It's Ooh. insane. That's not Housewives, not reality TV. That's wild. It's too I'm much. just tired. And I think what I've been struggling with, what is the difference between this and Cable. Remember when we growing up, you had cable and you're like so and many there was channels, so much cable. but nothing, nothing to watch. And there was a lot of cable. Yeah. There was a lot of cable. Yeah. We had a lot, a lot of cable. I mean, satellite TV is infinite, but it never felt like it was collapsing like we're seeing right now. What I've found really interesting is that through the launch of Netflix and HBO Max and through Twitter, I think more people know the process of making a TV show than ever before. People know who a showrunner is. People know what a writer's room is. People are having expectations of what the writers are. And due to our investment in them, similar to journalism, as some of them are getting fired, laid off, contracts change, we are emotionally invested because we know who's making our TV for the first time, our films. And now that they're not catering to us, quote unquote, and we're seeing quick shifts, it feels more real because we're seeing it all happen in real time, which would have never happened in the 90s. Like a writer, a showrunner getting fired, you never cared. You didn't know. Totally. I think there are two things happening. One, cable for all of its flaws was a viable business model because we all paid so much for cable, right? It kind of paid for itself. Uh, Streaming has yet to figure out how to successfully pay for itself. A lot of these big streamers, especially Netflix, they started out not making money and they built their audiences not actually making money. And now they have to make money and they're considering doing things like adding ads to the platform, which for cable, you're like, that's a no brainer. You got to do something to make the money. So Mm -hmm. the business model is still being worked out. But I also think that like we're in this moment where we know more than ever about TV shows, so we're invested more than ever in them. You know, I would watch some shit on cable as a kid and not think anything of it after the show was over. But now I can read all the reviews and all the recaps and I can follow the showrunner and the actors on Instagram and social. And I'm fully invested in these shows that haven't yet proven that they're commercially viable. So when they're canceled or disappeared from HBO Max, I throw a conniption fit that I never would have 20 years ago. Right. And it's interesting. I I was reading the other day that Neil Gaiman, wonderful, successful writer, and of course, I'm assuming one of the producers of Netflix's Sandman adaption, which is incredible. I, wow, I've watched the entire first season twice, actually four times, um, because I rewatched it. I rewatched it with my boyfriend. I just just thought they did a very, (laughs) very good job. And I know at times, you know, everything can feel like, you know, IP and it's just getting kind of crazy. But I just thought this was an example of actually a very successful text-to-screen adaptation. And still, they're not sure if it's going to be renewed for a second season, even though it's currently the most viewed show on Netflix, I think for like the third or fourth week running. Like, it's a hit. By all estimations, it's a hit. And even Neil Gaiman himself is like, uh, we'll see. I'm trying my best. And I guess it all goes back to, Sam, what you were saying, like, they, you know, how do you monetize this? Yeah. And so when you spend millions and millions of dollars on these, you know, beautiful, slick, well-acted and edited shows, but you're not getting kind of the financial yeah. returns. Yeah. It doesn't feel fun anymore. Yeah, no. It's not it fun. Does. It's not fun anymore at all. It doesn't. And does like Saeed, I feel like you'll understand what I'm saying here. And Sam, you'll know, but I don't know if you've experienced it the same way. But whenever I think of Netflix and think about what's happening there, it just gives me 
PTSD from digital media and especially like the rise of BuzzFeed where it was like so many amazing stories because we had funding to send people everywhere, do everything. And people got so used to this really quality content that was really inexpensive or free, especially, you know, dot-com content. And then suddenly overnight it all went away. And like what we know as journalists is that when that funding disappeared, it wasn't that you didn't have more news to read or that you, you didn't have things to click on at work. It's real people's lives were not being spotlit and legislation was falling through. Mm-hmm. That's why we're dealing with this kind of avalanche of all this legislation passing because there's not enough reporters. So I feel like we're at the beginning of that for Hollywood where like yeah. we had a moment where we saw ourselves and now it's going backwards. That's a great point. And, and, and it's actually very concerning because yeah, from, from the position of digital media, what we saw really from, I would say 2016 to now as, as all the layoffs and the shrinking, all of the journalists of color, queer journalists, and you know, that, that were brought into newsrooms finally, given the support and resources they deserved to do great work, those were some of the first people laid off. And then that impacted yeah. the journalists themselves and the work they were doing, right, which benefited the readers. And just like I said earlier, part of the joy of, you know, all of these streaming platforms is that we had more opportunities for storytelling, which did create more opportunities for diverse storytelling. And now as we see with like HBO Max and Warner Brothers, guess who they're laying off? Black people, brown people. Yes. And this is a pattern that I feel like happens a lot when a lot of investor or tech or VC money comes into an industry, props it up, and then you realize these things can't sustain themselves. The first thing to be cut, the first folks to lose their job, that's usually people of color, queer people, and women. You know, in this same week that Netflix turns 25, another big streamer has been in the news recently for a lot of missteps in this merger they're having. Warner Brothers Discovery has axed about 13 non-white executives as they try to climb out of debt. And that's going to affect the kind of shows that are made. You know, that platform laid off about 70 people this month. They're also quietly disappearing TV shows. HBO Max canceled Batgirl after spending $90 million for the movie, after having that movie have an Afro-Latina lead. And I mean, and also canceling a movie sounds pretty unprecedented, right? Yeah, this never happened really before. No. Okay. And so like... Several years into the world of streaming, when it promised us infinite possibility and opportunities for all kinds of creatives, what we're seeing is actually a consolidation of this industry Mm -hmm. in which fewer companies are in charge of it, all with white men on top. And you're losing the parts of these companies that embrace diversity. So, so much I think of the promise of Netflix, of the promise of streaming, it hasn't been fully realized yet. And it's just tired us all out. As a viewer of TV and movies, I am exhausted by how much there is to watch, how much there is to keep up with, and how no one is helping me keep that stuff in order in my life. I miss knowing what shows were on on Thursday night, what shows were on on Friday night. I miss that, and I just feel like I'm lost in the wilderness when it comes to streaming now. And something that's always bothered me, Netflix started this, but I think the other streaming platforms have similar practices. We don't know actually how well the shows are doing consistently, right? Like when Netflix says like, oh, Sandman's doing great today. I'm assuming they are telling the truth, but like that doesn't make sense. If a publication is able to like put out their own ratings, you know, that's kind of ridiculous. And, And when we go back to the heyday of cable and network television, you know, like the impact of Sweeps Week and all of that, 
Like you had a sense of your impact as a viewer on a show's success. And now it just doesn't matter, you know? And it's 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 weird. It's like on one way, as, as, as you both pointed out, things feel more transparent and maybe even annoyingly interactive because we're aware of the behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like, don't worry, darling isn't coming out until October. And I feel like we are all deep in the back and forth. You know, like it's weird to be so, you know, in it. But at the same time, when you show up for something and really love it, the impact of that enthusiasm feels dampened. Because yeah. at the end yes. of the day, if, I don't know, Reed Hastings at, at Netflix just, you know, says, up, oh, doesn't matter too much money. doesn't matter if it's a critical darling. It's out. It's yeah. out. And so it's just a weird... Yeah. So and, I think, and that's and that's why people take it so personally is that we we came from a digital media environment where we're saying for you by you with the whole crew looking like you and then to see when the times get tough they chop you first that's really disheartening for you as just a person in the world because at the end of the day that 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 reality you know that exists of white supremacy in this country and racism and discrimination becomes materialized in these choices of content when they say you're not worthy of our investment we're going to go with you know the middle america reading code kind of racist shows. Mm-hmm. And that just yeah. shows you where the money's at. And that's really sad for you, for you as a person of color. I keep thinking now as Netflix turns 25 and we're all asking questions about whether this wide world of streaming was good or bad for us. I keep coming back to how eventually some of this stuff has to go back to what it knows. You know, when streaming was becoming ascendant, everyone said, well, the beauty of this is that you can just binge a show in one day. We'll release it all and you watch it all. What's happening now, we're moving back to time slots for TV shows, which is the way it was back in cable days, right? Mm -hmm. We also saw this moment where Netflix said, we can survive as a business model without ever having to show you advertisements. Guess what Netflix is gonna have to do? And they've said they're going to do very soon run ads. You know, there was so much hubris in the world of the Netflixes and the streamers about how they could reinvent the wheel. But some of the big parts of that old wheel of yesteryear, time slots and commercials, is still going to be with us. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think about that a lot when I think about Joe Biden and his recent successes. Everything about that man feels old school. The way he approaches politics and D.C. and all of it feels tired. But sometimes it works. <laughs> also, meanwhile, you know, as someone who has a Disney Plus subscription, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Paramount Plus, it adds up and it might damn well be as much as a it's cable. It's the same as a cable. It's girl. the same as cable. Same as cable. <laughs> Listen, so the moral of this story is quit your streamers, get back on cable and uh, <laughs> support your local geriatric politician. Take me back to the days when I would go through the TV Guide channel looking for any hint of gayness. I mean, like, oh, okay, Will. <laughs> scarcity, scarcity. Red Shoe Diaries? Hmm, we'll see what we can figure out there. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay, we're going to take another break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. (laughs) 
All right, so we're back. And before we end the show, we each like to share something that's helping us keep our vibe right this week. And to get us going, I'm just going to throw it to Saeed because I saw him Googling and I want to see what she was Googling over there. <laughs> well, um, I don't know if you know this, but I tend to think of myself as a sunny goth girl. And wow. She says so- <laughs> in a Led Zeppelin shirt. In a wow. Led Zeppelin shirt. <laughs> we love to see like it. Like to smile everything dead on the inside. So I was just absolutely delighted. I was, oh, I went to see Nope and I ended up seeing a trailer for this television show. It's on Hulu uh, via FX. The show is called Little Demon. It's a new animated mm-hmm. show. And I just, this is just a perfect one sentence synopsis. After being impregnated by the devil, a reluctant mother and her antichrist daughter attempt to... Let me get my blessed oil, because in the name of Jesus, I rebuke this. The reluctant mother is voiced voiced by Aubrey Plaza. (laughs) Satan is voiced by Danny DeVito, (laughs) um, and the daughter is Lucy DeVito. It is so great. <laughs> wow. It looks so good. I have been wanting to watch it's, it all week. It is it so funny good. or dramatic? It's very funny. Okay. It's very, very funny. Check it out. Check it okay. out. And I just think that the mother character who's like a tough demon fighting badass. And so it's like you both have the kind of divorced parent tension, but it's playing out in a you know really dramatic way. It was very feminist. I don't know. I you know, if if you got into my Harley Quinn recommendation a couple of weeks ago, you know, let, let's take it to Little Demon. You Get love like this demon. like you are goth because these are very goth <laughs> images. Harley Let Quinn, it all burn little, and laugh while devil, doing yeah. it. And little you know. Miss Evanescence over here. We love okay. it. Okay. All right. Well, we love that. I'm going to be checking that out. Sam, you got your... The blessed oil. The blessed, the blessed oil. oil. Listen, anointed okay. this computer. Post Put the oil on oil. this computer screen. Post Shot blessed oil. Bless the Zoom. <laughs> what is your vibe? What's keeping you right this week, Sam? Yeah. So um, I actually, just before this taping, uh, taped with my friends over at NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour to talk about the new Regina Hall, Sterling K. Brown movie, Honk for Jesus. Save Your Soul. It is worth it just for Regina Hall's performance alone. I love Regina Hall. She's so good. I love her. So she plays a pastor's wife and they're caught up in a sex scandal, but they're trying to rebuild their church after the scandal. And the whole thing is shot in a mockumentary style. The movie has some flaws, but the performances are superb. Regina Hall is truly Oscar worthy in this film. She does this wonderful thing and most of the stuff she does where she'll start a scene almost feigning innocence. And she's just delivering her lines, looking at you. And then you gradually see this wink and a nod behind the eyes and something deeper there. And she's always the smartest person in the room. And she's just phenomenal, pitch perfect. Her comedic timing is amazing. There's a final monologue towards the end where she's in full Baptist preacher's wife regalia and clown face paint. Won't explain it, but the girl is working (laughs) for the awards. If there's any justice in this world, Regina Hall gets an Oscar nomination at least for her work in this movie. Okay. Go see wow. it. I love, okay, I'm excited. I think Regina Hall is a comic genius. Yes. And part of it is she's really able to use almost like the veneer of respectability and like you said, innocent. Because she looks, she, I mean, she, she has looks that yeah. put together, perfect, you know, almost like kind of 
elevated soccer mom look, but you know, she is wild. Yes. She has a wicked sense of humor and I love it. Oh, I'm excited. Okay. And Sterling K. Brown. Yes. Is he going to be hot in the fa- movie? He is fine okay. and shirtless in this movie. Yes, Amen. 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 Praise Jesus. We love. Glory. We love. Okay. Um, right. Yeah. Oh God, I'm going to have to go watch Girls Trip again. Yes. Pay homage to Virginia Or go Hall. watch the scary movie franchise again, which she was oh, great Oh my God. In. Remember that, that from way oh, back in the right. day? Those parodies? She was so I'm not even going to start quoting that movie because it gets so raunchy, but I love <laughs> the popcorn sex. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Zach, what's your wreck this week? My wreck this week is go watch Serena Williams in her final tournament at the US Open, if you haven't been. She played Monday. She won. She plays today as the show's airing on Wednesday. And it is uh, her last tournament, allegedly, as she evolves out of tennis. And what's so amazing about watching it, even if you don't watch tennis, is as you're watching the game, no one cares about who she's going against. Like, I feel so bad for these other people playing her because the entire crowd is like Spike Lee, Queen Latifah. Bill Clinton, the sex psychiatrist. Dr. Ruth was sitting next to Bill Clinton last night, which was hilarious. <gasps> but it's just tons of celebrities there just clapping for Serena. And what's so funny is last night or on Monday night's game, Gail King came out and they did this whole ceremony to say goodbye to Serena and all this stuff. Aww. But the gag was is that she just won. She won by a lot. So she wasn't retired yet. So we're having this goodbye ceremony <laughs> and like she's still it. playing. And Serena Williams loves winning so much that she just looked confused the whole time. She's like, why are y'all doing this? I still, I'm still playing. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> here. Is- Part of what's really interesting about, because, you know, it's not like an actor or someone saying like, okay, I'm going to go out on top, you know, or this is going to be my last performance in a way that like, we know when it ends, you get to tell, you know, like this, we'll see, we'll see. I I mean, uh, I'm excited. What I loved is seeing Olympia, seeing her daughter you know, just in the stands, mm-hmm. just being her mama's number one fan. Yeah. Yeah. That baby. I was talking to a friend yesterday and we were just like, what a wonderful time to be alive. We got to see not just Serena Williams be on the top of her game for like 20 years. We've also seen Beyonce do the same thing. Mm-hmm. We are in this moment of black woman celebrity where there are pillars of the culture like Beyonce and Serena that have been giving us A plus for decades now and been on top for decades now, and we got to see it. How lucky we are. Imagine if we got to see Arthur Ashe play as well as he did for 20 years. That's what we got with Serena. Also, what I think what gives me hope um, and, and what does feel actually different is it's not just the black women icons. We also see the assured success of the next generation, yeah. you know, and so whether that's Naomi Osaka in tennis, right? And, you know, when I think of television, music, you know, like we, we see Quinta Brunson, we mm-hmm. see Issa Rae, you know, and so it means a lot that it's not like, oh, if Serena Williams and, and Venus Williams stop playing, that's it for black women yeah. in tennis. They have raised legions. Yeah. And that's beautiful. And, you know, just to see these women have careers that have legs, there used to be a time when all these industries would chew up young women and spit them out, especially black women. So to see Beyonce and Serena say, we're going to be dominant well into our adulthoods and you're going to deal. I just love it. What a time to be alive. And they're saying we're, we are retiring at 40 and we're going to have a whole other chapter of our lives. And I love that. The girls are cashing okay. checks and we love that for them. Do it. We love that we for love them. It. All right. Well, that's our show for this week. As always, we like to know what you are feeling or not feeling this week, what your vibe is or what's keeping your vibe in check. So let us know at vibecheck at stitcher.com. 
I'm just thinking about putting holy oil on Sterling K. Brown's abs. Anyway, <laughs> thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Vibe Check My Loves. Huge thank you to our producer, Chantel Holder, engineer Brendan Burns, and Marcus Holm for our theme music and sound design. Special thanks to our executive producers, Nora Ritchie at Stitcher and HNIC Brandon Sharp from Agenda Management and Production. And last but not least, thank you to Jared O'Connell and Amelda Skinder for all of their help. We want to hear from you. So don't forget, you can email us at vibecheck at stitcher.com and you can keep in touch with us on Twitter at at Zach Stafford, at The Ferocity and at Sam Sanders. Follow us on our new TikTok at VibeCheckPod, which freaks me out every week because I see us in my own For You page and that is so weird to me. (laughs) But stay tuned for another episode next Wednesday. Bye. 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 Stitcher. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.